and my heart is full. Amen. Yes, I do want to alert you if you don't realize yet that the way our parking lot and roads are constructed around the building, it's a perfect track. And if after the service you need to run around it a few times, you're more than welcome to. That's what Christ will do to your heart and life. And so I want to invite your attention to Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. One man was asked in an interview, if you could have just one conversation with someone living or dead, who would it be? And he said, well, the living one. <laughs> Indeed. I would prefer to have a conversation with a living one. The good news is that I've been trying to tell folks today is he is alive. Amen. And I had a conversation with him this morning. I believe you did too. I want to uh, show you for just a moment what a pastor does when he studies the Bible in preparation for a message. I looked at this chapter and I saw several sets of words. One happened to be words of movement. There's some movement that takes place in Matthew 28. In verse 1 they came, in verse 2 they came, verse 6 they're invited to come, verse 7 they go quickly and they're going, verse 8 they went out quickly and they ran, in verse 9 they went. Verse 10, they go, 11, going, verse 16, went away. And then in verse 19, Jesus said, go therefore. This is a series of words that repeat themselves or a concept that repeat themselves over and over again in Matthew 28. And then there are also words, not only of movement, but words of speaking. Uh, we find in verse 5, the angel said, and then he said, go and tell. He says, I have told you. Verse 8, bring disciples word. Verse 9, tell and saying, go and tell, make disciples, which implies verbal communication. And verse 20, teaching. And, and then there are words of emotion in this text. Uh, they shook, the same word used in the text for the earthquake. They quaked, just like the earth did when they saw the angels. And verse 5, do not be afraid. Verse 8, fear and great joy. Verse 9, Jesus said, rejoice. Verse 10, do not be afraid. But then there are also words of authority. Verse 2, there's a great earthquake. Verse 7, risen from the dead. Verse 9, worshipped. Verse 18, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Verse 19, his name, his authorization. In verse 20, teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Here in this resurrection story then, I conclude that Jesus told his followers not to fear telling of his resurrection. Do not fear to tell his resurrection. And that's what we're going to read in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and, all, and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. 
So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring the disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest and all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. This morning, I want to begin a series of messages on Do Not Fear to Tell. And this will be the initial message in that Do Not Fear to Tell the World, Jesus is Risen. You do not have to fear telling of His resurrection. Well, what about His resurrection shall I tell and not fear? One thing happens to be, do not fear to tell the significance of His resurrection. Why is the resurrection such a big deal? Well, there are several reasons. One, it fulfills biblical prophecy. God prophesied through the example of Jonah, who was three days in the belly of the fish. And Jesus picked up on that in Matthew 12, that just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days, so the Son of Man will be in the earth and rise again. It fulfills biblical prophecy. Then second, it validates Jesus' claims. The reasoning here is, God would never raise from the dead a liar that has deceived the world. But He raised Jesus from the dead, therefore Jesus is not a liar. Everything He said is true. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be sent from heaven. He claimed to be the only way. He claimed to be the Savior, the Lord, the one who inherits all authority from the Father and the soon and coming King And the resurrection validates his claims. Then it validates the cross as well. It validates the cross. Romans 4.25 says, Jesus was delivered up, another word for death, uh, for our iniquities, and he was raised on account of our justification. The cross purchased redemption and the Father was satisfied with it. Therefore, he raised Jesus from the dead. We know that He accepts the cross as payment for our sins because He raised Christ from the dead and left the world without any excuse or any misunderstanding that the cross is the way home to God. In fact, at the cross, what happened to Jesus is that He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21. In other words, Jesus took on our identity and suffered as we should because of our sins, so that we might take on His identity and experience the love and the blessing that He is to experience as the Son of God. In other words, Jesus is very willing to trade places with us, and He did at the cross, and the Father accepted that and raised Him from the dead. And that's why at the end of my message, we're going to give you the opportunity to place your soul and only trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord.
And if you need help with that, we would greatly uh, be uh, very eager to help you with that. And then the resurrection is significant because it defeats death. The greatest enemy to the children of men is not Satan. Because Satan has to succumb to the greatest enemy as well. The greatest enemy happens to be death. I don't want to minimize the role of demons and Satan himself that Jesus encountered often. And I believe in demons and the devil and the satanic kingdom because Jesus did. And I don't believe, unlike some, I can improve on him. However, that does not happen to be the greatest enemy. The greatest enemy happens to be death. And Jesus broke the bonds of death and the shackles of death when he rose from the dead. And he is Lord. Therefore, he could promise, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Anyone that's expired physically can live again. The grave does not get the last word. Jesus does for those who have repented and placed faith in the gospel. It reminds me of a mother who was frustrated with her children because they wouldn't take care of their new pet hamster. And she was having to do so. And finally, she got upset and yelled at them at the table and said, How many times do you think this hamster would have died had I not taken care of it? And the youngest one replied, uh, I don't know, once? <laughs> the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus conquers death, the greatest enemy of the children of men. And so it defeats death. The resurrection also previews the future. The kind of body that Jesus has says something about the heavenly kingdom. His body was a material body, a physical body. Therefore, the future kingdom, the heavenly kingdom, will be material. It was spiritual, so it shall be spiritual as well. It, it was miraculous, and so uh, the future kingdom and the bodies in it will be miraculous. It, they were triumphant. Jesus' body was triumphant, therefore it will be triumphant. It was glorious, therefore the future kingdom will be glorious. Jesus, in his resurrected body, is an embodiment of the future kingdom, and he previews the future. So the resurrection is important because everything rises and falls on it. So when we speak of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we speak of the most significant event in the history of the children of men, in our history. And that's why it is so imperative today to repent and believe this good news and place your entire trust in Jesus Christ after the message today during our invitation. And so do not fear to tell the significance of the resurrection. But there's a second thing. Do not fear to tell the fact of the resurrection. The angel knew what he was saying, and he understood the world into which he was saying it, and he understood the events of verses 11 through 17 as well. And yet he still said, He is not here, he is risen, just as he said, Come see the place where the Lord lay. A fact he stated it and expected the world to believe it. Now, there were some, of course, that did not believe. The guards left that event where they encountered, much to their fright, an angel. They returned to the chief priest. They told them what happened, and they concocted a theory, a conspiracy theory, that is the most improbable ever to be concocted. It is more probable that Jesus rose from the dead than what they said happened. They said, tell them that you fell asleep and the disciples came and stole the body away. Now, is that not the silliest thing you've ever heard? The disciples have fled and abandoned Jesus. They are scared to death of Roman soldiers. 
And so you have to believe that the disciples had the courage to take on Roman soldiers. Peter didn't have the courage to take on a Jewish lass, a little girl. So it's very improbable because they're terribly afraid. But that's not all. You have to believe that the soldiers fell asleep all at once. And then you have to believe that the disciples could roll away the stone without making noise enough to wake up the soldiers. But they took the money. And for that reason, this kind of myth and so many others are very enticing and tempting. Perhaps some of you believe some of these myths about what happened to the body. In verse number 15, it says, They took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews to this day. Several temptations to believe this myth. One happens to be that it is common. May I say to you, the truth is, is that what is popular may not be true, and we Americans have got to stop determining truth by polls and surveys and votes. We get it wrong often, so often. Just ask victims of the Holocaust in Nazi Germany. We get it wrong so often, even though it may be common. And then it was reported among the Jews. So the commonality of it was very tempting. And then the source, the Jews, were very moralistic, had the best morals in the world, and yet they got it wrong. Moral people can get things wrong, and often do. And then it was reported until this day, probably two or three decades after Jesus was risen from the dead is when Matthew was writing. And so it's persistent as well. Well, just because it's popular, persistent, and comes from an impressive source does not make it entirely true. In fact, we've seen that this myth is profoundly improbable. The, more, the greater probability is that Jesus rose from the dead, and there are several reasons I say so. One happens to be because of His Word. He is not here. He is risen just as He said. Just as He said. In order to doubt the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have to take on Jesus. You have to oppose what Jesus said. And you have to expect that what we will believe is that your word is superior to the word of Jesus. And when you say Jesus is not risen from the dead, from my perspective, I want you to understand what you're asking me to do. You're asking me to set aside the virgin-born, sinless, crucified, risen Son of God in favor of your word. And I'm telling you now, you're losing that debate. If you were superior to Jesus Christ, if you were more sinless than Him, if you had a greater commission from the Father, I might give you consideration. But friend, I'm going to tell you, Jesus leaves every human in His dust of glory. And so Jesus said this. If the resurrection's not true, why did Jesus say He was going to rise from the dead in Matthew 16, 21? But there's a second reason to believe the resurrection. Also, his followers. In Matthew 26, verse 56, it says they were afraid and terrified, and they fled Jesus when he was arrested. That's the mental status of them. However, you look just 50 days later for the following decades at the disciples, and something has changed. Peter stands up before a larger crowd at Pentecost. The weather was better, so more of them came to Pentecost than Passover. And he stood up before them and said, You crucified Jesus Christ, who was attested to you by God through miracles, but God raised him from the dead. Repent and believe the gospel. 
He is the powerful Pentecostal preacher on that day. And the rest of the disciples that were living with Judas accepted gave their lives in martyrdom for Jesus Christ, except John who died under persecution six days, decades after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So how do they go from being cowards who can be talked down by a Jewish girl to being Pentecostal preachers and uh, uh, missionaries around the globe suffering for martyrdom because of this message that Jesus rose from the dead? What accounts for the change? Well, they decided to make up a story and they just lied to the world. You remember Chuck Colson? Chuck Colson was Richard Nixon's hatchet man. He was deeply loyal to Nixon, and he said that he would run over his grandmother in order to please Richard Nixon. He and 12 others helped Richard Nixon cover up the Watergate crimes. And when prosecutors threatened them with jail, in a period of two weeks, that entire lie began to unravel, and all of them collapsed and admitted they were wrong. Twelve of the most powerful men in the world wilted under the threat of prison and friend I've got to ask you this if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead how did 12 of the most powerless men in the world stand boldly for the gospel of Christ people don't do that for a lie so Jesus words and then Jesus followers and then Jesus appearances Jesus appeared 10 times to as few as one to as many as 500 Listen, if Elvis would do this, we'd finally believe he's still alive. (laughs) If we had just one good appearance by Elvis, I'd be thrilled and the rest of us would be convinced. But Jesus appeared ten times to as few as one, to as many as 500 at a time. Those of you in the legal profession, how would you like to have 500 witnesses of the same event who saw it at the same time in the same experience and could account for it from their perspective? Wouldn't that be an awesome uh, 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 group of uh, witnesses to have during a, uh, a trial in a court? What a marvelous thing. I want to say to you, no one's ever claimed Muhammad appeared after he died. No one's ever claimed Buddha did. Buddha never said that he would. Neither did Muhammad. But Jesus Christ appeared because he's alive after his death. Do not be afraid to tell of the fact of his resurrection. In fact, there was on a Craigslist listing back a while ago an ad that read, Used tombstone for sale. Bargain for someone named Dingo. Folks, Jesus could have put in an ad like that. In fact, I think it's quite, uh, quite savvy for him to have been buried where he was buried. He was buried not in his own tomb. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. Uh, it makes an awful lot of financial sense to me. Why buy a tomb when you just need it three days? Isn't that right? So do not fear to tell the significance of His resurrection. Do not fear to tell the fact of His resurrection. Do not fear to tell the selectivity, the selectivity of His resurrection. In verse 10, He said, I will appear to my brethren. So He claims the disciples, failures that they were as His family. The angel said, He will appear and go before them into Galilee, not Jerusalem. Galilee got the first fruits of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because Galilee was far more receptive and humble. 
than Jerusalem ever thought of being. And then Jesus did not appear to unbelievers. He appeared only to believers. Not perfect believers, but those that were humble. Now, he appeared enough to believers to where they could all witness and give testimony that he did appear. And that was so convincing eventually in the book of Acts to Jews that many of them came to Christ. In, in fact, several thousand of the, of the priests came to Christ. That's how powerful that was. And that's what you should do today is repent and believe this gospel and embrace Christ as Lord and Savior like they did. But the truth is, is that Jesus was rather selective in who he appeared to. Jesus is not close to everyone like he is to others. Matthew chapter 13, verse 11 and 12 explain to us why Jesus operates by this principle in Matthew 11. Jesus said to the disciples, It's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, like resurrection. But to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. In other words, Jesus does not unveil himself equally to all. Now the whole world gets creation and the witness of creation. But as far as the special and particular unveiling of the Son of God, he's very selective. Jesus Christ will not unveil himself to the proud, the boastful, or the arrogant, or the self-righteous. He only unveils himself to the humble and those that are willing to bow before the truth. And that leads me to this conclusion. What most of us need, what most in our world need, is not more information, but more humility and surrender to the truth. And so if today you feel like you've been distant from Jesus Christ, I want to give you a challenge. If you will humble your heart and tell God, God, I will go anywhere the truth leads me. Well, I don't believe in God. Well, tell him anyway. And just say, God, if you exist, I will bow myself before the truth and I will go anywhere the truth leads me. And you approach the Bible. Begin reading in the New Testament. Old Testament's fascinating, but New Testament is a shortcut to truth. You do that. And God will lead you up the Mount of Truth. But I've got to warn you, as you ascend this mountain of truth and you cross over the top, what you're going to see is the Lord Jesus Christ in His glory saying, Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That is what you will hear. But I don't mind encouraging you to put truth to the test. I could debate, I could argue, I could stack up evidences, I could do all sorts of things, and there's a lot of interesting history and research and a variety of philosophies which we could use to build up a strong argument for the Christian faith, and I enjoy that. But the best is to open the Bible with a humble heart, and the shepherd will lead you into his fold every time. If you are humble. If you're humble. And so the degree to which you know the Lord Jesus Christ is the degree to which you have surrendered to Him. You have as much truth as you will obey and no more. So He is selective. Do not be afraid to tell the selectivity of His resurrection. But then, do not fear to tell of the Lordship of His resurrection. Now I need to ask you to help me here, mentally. 
yes, I need mental health. But I, I'm in your own mind. In your own mind. I want you to pretend for just a moment that you've never read verses 18 through 20. And a peasant is standing before you in brilliant glory. And he says in verse 18, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, he says, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all things I commanded. Now how do a group of ordinary Jewish men hear that? Well, they're standing back and they think, well, you know something? I remember learning in synagogue that God called Moses up to Mount Sinai and delivered to him the law. And Moses returned to Israel and explained it to them. Now Jesus has called us us up to a mount and he is delivering his own word and sending us back not only to Israel, but to all the nations of the earth. Jesus here is acting like God of the Old Testament and the disciples happen to be the Moses and the world happens to be Israel. Jesus is reenacting Mount Sinai. Do you know why? Well, he did it with Israel back in Exodus 20. He's doing it with them in Matthew 28. He has a pattern of doing this. The God of Israel that delivered the Ten Commandments is none other than the Son of God, equal to the Father and the Spirit and Deity. But then look at the particular words he states. All authority has been given to me. The Father relinquished all his authority to Jesus Christ. In heaven and earth, that's a Hebraism for the universe. He's given me all authority. Go therefore and make disciples of all the kingdoms of the earth because I am king of kings and I am lord of lords. I purchased them with my blood and this is how I'm going to take possession of them. By redemption and forgiveness and salvation and grace. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations. There are none that rise above me. They all belong to me. And then baptize them in my name. Well, that's something the God of the Old Testament would say. And Jesus is now claiming here to have the name of the Father and Spirit. Did you notice here in verse 19, it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Not the names. Plural. Teaching them to observe not what Yahweh commanded in the Old Testament, but teaching them to observe everything Yahweh in the flesh before you in Galilee has commanded. And then he says, pay attention. I am going to say to you what I said to Moses and Joshua and David and Solomon I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
God created a court system and laws, and we violated them. He created with them sentences and condemned us to death, and then He came to the earth and paid His own sentence by suffering at the cross. And the Father was so pleased with that, He raised Him from the dead, and now He wants this message discharged and spread quickly. Hurry, go tell. He is risen around the earth and to call all nations to bow the knee before Him, which is a preview of what will happen forcibly one day when He splits the eastern sky and returns to take possession of what He already owns by virtue of His blood. Glory to His name. Oh, if you've got that in you, you've got to get it out or it will hurt you. Isn't that right? And so what we have here is that we have Jesus claiming lordship over all. Abraham Kuyper, the Dutch theologian, said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine! 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 All of it belongs to Him. By virtue of His resurrection, Jesus Christ is Lord. Do not fear to tell. He is Lord. He owns it, and He's waiting the right time to come take possession of it. Now, I want to modify a C.S. Lewis statement that he made about the Christian faith, and I want to say it about the resurrection. If the resurrection is false, it is of no importance nor is the Christian faith. But if the resurrection of true is true, it is of infinite importance. What it is not is moderately important. This is not a casual affair. This is not the kind of issue that you can categorize and compartmentalize to a few hours on Sunday morning and an occasional devotion. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. The Spirit of God now works among us to call everyone to abandon their self-righteousness, their naive notions of virtue, their own goals and aspirations and hopes and dreams to abandon quickly and strictly and vociferously all of these things and rush to Jesus Christ and bow before Him, giving Him all. And the Spirit of God does that because Jesus Christ is Lord and worthy. This is not of moderate importance. This is not something about which we could be casual. I toyed with the idea this morning this week, about this morning, to offer three invitations today. For those that would be honest enough to say, I don't believe it, so it's no importance I was going to have you line up here. And for those who would say it's only of merely moderate, casual importance, I was going to line you up over here. And for the rest, I was going to ask you to line up here. I don't do those kinds of things. And you are glad. (laughs) But mentally and in your heart, you can do that today. You can do that by doing what Jesus said when he came preaching first. When he said, repent and believe in the gospel. 
renounce your life outside of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus began to rebuke the cities in which he'd done his mighty works where he had done them because they did not repent. Jesus rebukes a lack of repentance. Some of you today coming to Beach Haven passed it and had to do a U-turn and come back. And that's what God is calling you to do today with your life, your soul, everything about you. Do a U-turn and come back to Christ. And then the Bible says, trust him and believe. Jesus said, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. In fact, you trusted today when you came in and sat on these pews. You didn't have anyone examine them and their structural integrity. You simply trusted the pew to hold your weight and the weight of all the people on your row. You had some faith. You had faith, even without thinking about it, in the manufacture of these pews. And now God is calling you to place your entire trust for hope, life, eternal salvation, and resurrection in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone, who is superior to any pew manufacturer. Come and bow it all before Him. We're going to give you the opportunity today to do that. We're going to sing a song, and as we do, I want to ask you to step up from where you are and meet one of our staff here on the front and say, I need to give my life to Christ. Would you help me? Would you do that? They'll be here. They'll be ready to receive you and give you all the counsel and time that you need. Others of you, you know Christ, but you need to follow Him in baptism. And you need to become part of His church. You come. Others of you, you know Christ and you followed Him in baptism, but it's time to become a part of the Beach Haven family. We want to encourage you to move your letter, but please move your life when you do as well and give your all to Christ. God is calling some of you to preach this message around the world in missionary service or in the pastorate or some other form of ministry. You come. Maybe you've got some other need. We want to help you with that. But I'm going to ask you to quickly stand with me and let me pray, and then we're going to sing. Father, we thank you for this good news. Thank you that Jesus is present, and he is ready to meet the need of the heart. He's ready to meet eternal needs and spiritual needs and any other need we bring to him. And thank you that he is capable and sufficient to do so. And now may friends here today repent and trust him wherever necessary. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake.